Are you happy to be here today? Are you happy to be here today? Yeah. There's nothing like being in the house. I'm going to invite you to take your seat. Thank you, worship team. God, he, you said it and we'll believe it. It's so, it's so uh, incredible to, to know that that's our responsibility. All we have to do is just believe him at his word and uh, know that he is faithful. I'm excited today to, to talk to you about, to share the message that God has placed in my heart, should I say, uh, in this third part of our series that we've called Rooted. Rooted as we continue our 21 days of prayer and fasting that we would have uh, just the desire to deepen ourselves in Him, to have that foundation, to be able to have those roots that regardless of what comes our way, we will not be moved. Amen? We will not be moved. And I'm excited to talk to you today about the subject, Grounded in Worship. Grounded in Worship. Our key verse is found in Isaiah chapter 38, verses 18 and 19. It says, for the dead cannot praise you. They cannot raise their voices in praise. Those who go down to the grave can no longer hope in your faithfulness. Only the living can praise you as I do today. Each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. Each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. When we truly embrace the love that God has for us, it is at that point that we begin to trust him. And as our relationship with him grows, as we develop a great love for him through this, and through our love, we understand that the love for God allows us to move from what is a religious requirement to a relational joy where I don't just come because I need to come, where I don't come because I don't want somebody to call me and ask me where I was at, but I come because I love Jesus. I love Jesus, and there is something about being in the house together. What we once saw as duty, now all of a sudden becomes a devotion. And it becomes our delight to know him and to follow what he asks us to do. And an overflow of your relationship, of our relationship with God, is worship. But I want to tell you this morning that worship is so much more than singing. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship can be expressed through acts of service. It can be expressed through words of praise. It could be expressed through giving. It could be expressed through singing. It could be expressed through dancing. And it could be expressed even through shouting. Living this way honors our Savior. And it produces purity and it produces confidence. And it produces strength in us. The strength that we need to keep on going and to keep on fighting the fight. And as a result of this, when we have a lifestyle of worship, we then become warriors in God's kingdom. Because worship is actually also, should I say, an act of warfare against the enemy of our soul. Our worship irritates our enemy and it increases our ability to fight against the powers of darkness. 
that we find in the heavenly realm. Psalms 149 verse 6 says this, Let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands. So when we give God all our attention, what that begins to do is that we strip the enemy of any power that he would want to have over us as we begin to transition and enter into the safety of God's presence. Because when we get into his presence, we are protected from every plan of the enemy. We become like Jesus who said, the ruler of the world has nothing in me. It is at that point that we are able to come boldly into the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And without forgiveness for our sins, we cannot enter into the presence of God. But thanks be to God that the blood of Jesus has removed every spot and has removed every stain from our lives and has made a way for us to boldly come before the throne of grace with confidence to know that we can come to him because of him. Let me, let me illustrate this in just a way. When we look at Adam and Eve, the first couple in the Bible, God said, if you eat of this, you will surely die. He was not referring to a physical death because we understand that they went on to live a long life of hard work and, and a, a hard life of work and turmoil. But he was referring to a spiritual death because we understand that sin does have consequences. And even though God departed from, a, from man's spirit when man sinned, he covered them with garments made from animal skins. And we understand that this was the first blood sacrifice ever counted in the Bible. And throughout the Old Testament, you see time and time again where sins were only forgiven when there were certain animals that were sacrificed. God considered these blood sacrifices to be acts of worship by his people. The blood of the animals would be poured in the horns of the altar that sat at the entrance to the tabernacle. It, which was known as a sanctuary. And the, then the offering was taken into the place that we call the Holy of Holies. It was a sacred place that contained the Ark of the Covenant, which housed the tablets of God's command, which we know as the Ten Commandments. And then it was that blood that would then be put on the mercy seat, which was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And when the, the sacrifice was appropriate, when, when God accepted the sacrifice, when it was right, we understand that the presence of God would fall in that place. In the Holy of Holies, there was a thick veil, and theologians have, have studied and say that that veil was seven inches thick. That, that veil was what separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was, was where God's presence dwelled. That bell that we, that we see there, it represented the unapproachability of man to be able to go into God's presence because of our, because of our uncleansed, because of our ability to not be cleansed, should I say. It was only a place where the high priest could come in. And when the high priest would be purified and he would come into that place, uh, that's where the presence of God was at. But when Jesus gave up 
his spirit on the cross. The Bible tells us that he said it is finished. And when he said it is finished, the Bible tells us that the veil in that temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Notice that it was not torn from the bottom to the top. No, God tore the veil from the top to the bottom to let us know that he was moving out of that place. A few weeks later, at the feast of, that we know as, as Pentecost, God moved into the hearts of the believers. In the book of Acts chapter 2, we understand that the truth is unveiled. And it says, that this, says this, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire approached and settled on each of them. This incredible experience with the presence of God described here in Acts chapter 2 was made possible by the acceptable sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. Thank God for this new way and thank God for this better way for us to be able to experience him. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12 tells us that with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, hallelujah, Jesus entered the most holy place once and for all and secured our redemption forever. This redemption includes eternal life with God, and it includes healing for our bodies and our souls, and it includes deliverance, freedom from the power of the enemy. The blood of Jesus has overcome everything. And we understand because of this, as believers, we are fighting from victory. We are not fighting for victory, but victory is already secure in Jesus. The veil has already been torn and Satan is already defeated. There is nothing that is separating us today from God's presence. And as a result of that, we can be in an intimate relationship with him. And he has declared, because he has declared his love and expressed his love for us, the only thing that we need to do is receive that love and learn how to love him in return. God desperately longs to connect with our hearts. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus is calling the people out and saying, genuine worship is not what you're doing. But we know that genuine worship comes from a heart that is consistently connected with God. So much more than being here for, for an hour, an hour and a half. And when we understand that, our lives can be radically changed. And, and what I want to illustrate here is that that connection happens in two ways. When we have genuine worship, it is, we understand that corporate worship is a part of that. When we come to church together with fellow believers, and then it can also happen personally, anytime and anywhere. You can praise him as you're driving to work. And you can praise him as you're washing the dishes. And you can praise him as you're cleaning your house. Corporate worship, though, is important because our faith increases. And this is why it's so important for us to come when we join together with like-minded believers. That even if we come to church distracted, even if we come worried about what is taking place in our lives, even if we come burdened by anxiety, our attitudes can quickly change in a worshipful environment. And personal worship occurs when we take initiative. 
intentionally adjust our attitudes. Because I'm going to, can, can, can I just be honest that we, we need some attitude adjustment from time to time? When we adjust our attitudes and when we cultivate an atmosphere of praise wherever we are, at any time of the day, that we can have the attitude of a worshiper and enjoy God's presence. It is his will for us that though we have a desire to have a real relationship with God, one like we've seen in others and one like we've heard and, and say, maybe, maybe that's just available to them. Can I tell you it's available to you also? It's available to each of us that sometimes it, ju- it just seems far out of reach. It's just like when you've, when you've tried to read your Bible time and time again, but you find yourself reading the same verses over and over, and, and you just can't seem to, to, to get past a certain point. You can't have the breakthrough that you're looking for. Or you've tried to pray, but it feels like your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and, and not really going to the throne, and, and it, it just... It happens in, in some lives at different points. And if, I want to tell you today, if this is you, if this is where you're at, that we would just evaluate our level of surrender. Well, what do you mean by that? Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Because he wants your trust as much as he wants your heart. Because without your trust, your heart will never be completely his. We often say, you're my Lord, but when there's a bump in the road, we grab for the steering wheel and want to take control again. Many Christians in this world get distracted by striving to find the happiest, most pleasurable, and most preferable way to live. But in order to discover God's will for our lives, we have to surrender control. And this is hard for Each of us in this place because we want to know and we want to be in control of what is taking place. But true worship starts when we say, my life is not my own, but I'm bought with a price. Not just a price, I'm bought with a high price. And I get to to serve Jesus. And I get to serve my church. With this kind of attitude, we will live a life that is far more fulfilling than we could ever have imagined or obtained by our own strength and by our own might. Ezekiel chapter 47 tells us of a vision that this prophet had. And what we understand in this vision, the river that is illustrated to us symbolizes the presence of God. And as we venture forward in our relationship with God, as we talk about trusting him more and leaning on him more and giving him our whole heart and saying, God, I trust you because I know you have my best interest in mind. I know that you want what's best for me. But the problem is that sometimes I want what's best for myself. Ezekiel tells us this. That as we venture forward in our relationship with God, that we have our tendency to want to keep our toes on the ground. Because as long as I have my toes on the ground, I'm able to navigate and control the situation to a certain extent. Ensuring that our head stays above water, I'm able to be certain that I'm in control of my life. But God is inviting us just a little bit deeper to trust him 
to go deeper and to experience the fullness of his presence. And as we begin to surrender control to God, we will be swept away by his love and by his affection and that we will truly enjoy our journey with him. That that regardless of what takes place in my life, that I am at a place inside, on the inside with God, that I can just say, you know what, it's going to be okay. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. When we see that God is worthy of our trust, we will be, e- we will be more eager to easily give up the control and live in the spiritual order that he has called us to live. So this river illustrates four levels of worship, what we know as ankle deep, when we can enjoy God's presence to a certain extent, but yet we're still in full command. We can splash and, and we can feel God's presence, but then we choose to, we can easily walk out of the river at any time that we want with no lasting effects on our lives. That's ankle deep. Then you have knee deep where the current of God, his presence can be felt, but yet you still maintain control. In knee deep water, you have a good view of those who are further out. You have a good view of those who have ventured into deeper waters, but yet you're still in control of your life. You still find security on the riverbank. But then you have what's called waist deep. And here the stream of his presence is strong. And we've walked into deeper waters, but we fight the current to keep control, to keep contact with the bottom And often the fear of what others think comes to our mind, or the fear of losing control will tempt us to come back to the riverbank. And it is at this place that we come to a crossroads that we have to make a crucial decision. Who will be in control, God or us? And then you have the middle of the river where you experience the fullness of God's presence, where you understand what David said, that in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. It's a place where you stop fighting the control, and instead we pick up our feet and we float, and we say, God, I trust you. I trust you more than I trust myself. And we allow the current to to carry us. And and most people want to experience God at ankle deep or, or maybe knee deep or even waist deep. But they want to stay in control. But can can I tell you that God is calling us to the middle of the river? And, and God is saying, Will you trust me fully with your whole heart? Will you trust that my ways are good? And will you trust that my ways are are perfect? But, but some of us just want to reserve enough control that, that, that God doesn't take us too far because uh, we've seen some things. And, and we say, God, I don't want to go through that. Those who live this way have believed a lie that if they abandoned control, that God would take us through some things that we don't want to go through. Can I tell you that I know that life is not easy. And I know life is not perfect. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he also said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And just as I have overcome, you shall also. I have a promise to stand on. God led Ezekiel back to the riverbank. And suddenly, to his surprise, there were many trees on both sides of the river. 
And watch this. And the river was now springing up with life. And, and Ezekiel 47.9 tells us that everything will live where the river goes. The leaves of the tree will not wither and the fruit will not fall. And there will bear, they will bear much fruit every month because of the living waters that are there in the river. The trees represent healing and the fish represent harvest. Wonderful things happen when we abandon our control and we say, God, have your way. And we say, God, I trust you. And I want to experience the life that you truly called me to live. So how can I be a true worshiper? How can I be a true worshiper? The first thing is this. You, you got to give God your affection. Watch what 2 Chronicles 16.9 says. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God's eyes are scanning the earth and saying, I'm, I'm looking for someone who is fully committed to me. God wants to be in a covenant, which is a devoted, unbreakable relationship with you, with me, that involves much more than just singing songs. But he wants you and I to desire and enjoy his presence, that we would worship him out of the overflow of our heart because we know that he is worthy of the best that we can offer him. Psalms 84, 1 and 2, David illustrates what a craving to worship God. He said, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. I have to show him my affection. The second thing is this, that I have to commit to unconditional worship. Can we commit to unconditional worship? Because true praise means that, that we worship him when we feel like it, but it also means that we, we worship him when we don't feel like it. That we must be committed to worshiping him. And it's so common for, for many to take a conditional approach to God. That just as we do with sports teams, that as long as our team is winning and making great plays, we're excited and we get engaged in the game. But you've turned off the TV when, when things are not going well. We lose interest and leave early in the same way some of us can easily fall into a pattern where we praise God when things are going well. But as soon as hard times come, as soon as difficulties come, we are nowhere to be found. The truth is this, that God is worthy of our worship in good times. And he's worthy in bad times. The same God of the mountaintop is the God of the valley also. And David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When we tangibly feel his presence, he's worthy. And when I feel like giving up, he's still worthy. When I, had, when I had good coffee, he's worthy. And when I had a bad cup of coffee, he's still worthy. My emotions cannot dictate the fact of his worthiness. And if I feel okay or if I don't feel okay, I still have to give him praise because he's always, always worthy. 
So we must make a commitment that whatever comes our way, that we will turn to him and that we will posture ourselves in a position of worship to God. The next thing is this, the third thing. Include God in your daily life. Are we including him in our daily life? Are we seeking him each day? Are we carving out time to do what's the most important? To seek him. He said this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I can't do anything by myself. But he's given me the strength to accomplish everything that I've accomplished. You and I, we cannot do anything by ourselves, but he is the one. Could it be that many of us struggle in our relationship with God Because our Sundays do not look like our Mondays. When our everyday world looks different than our church world, we begin to compartmentalize our lives. And then we limit God's access. And say, God, you can have full control on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, I want to steer this ship. But our, sa- our secular worlds and our sacred worlds should truly look the same. Equally reflecting the commitment that we have made in our heart to worship Jesus, to live for Jesus. But often we don't know how to include God in our marriage, in our parenting, in our jobs, in our vacations, or even in our hobbies. But what would happen if we said, God, come into every area? This is true worship. God, come into every area because I trust you more than I trust myself with my marriage, with my family, with my parenting. I trust you more than I trust myself with with my job and my career. I trust you more that when we confront issues in life, we would say, God, could you direct me here? I have a new issue that I've never faced before. When we have difficulty with someone at work that we would just say, God, I need your wisdom to be able to handle this situation the way it needs to be handled. That when, when we feel sick in our bodies, that we would say, God, could you heal me? But oftentimes, how many times have I reached for Tylenol before I go to God in prayer? That I can't compartmentalize As a believer that God wants access to every part of my life. He cares about what happens to you. And this is so important for for some of us to to remember and to realize that, that I can cast all my cares on him because he cares for me. Including areas that we seem, no God, you don't have time for this. God cares about those areas. But our level of surrender has to match that. And we have to say, God, you have control of my life. And you have full access 
to, to have your way. And as we invite him to be a part of everything we do, that we will have moments of worship at, at every single moment, every single hour of the day, that we would just be in contact, that, that we would say, God, I, I worship you and I trust you. I trust you and I worship you. I love you, God. That, that as you go through your daily routine, that we would have moments of worship. Amen. The next thing is this. As I'm drawing to a close, we have to be obedient. The first place where worship is mentioned in the Bible is the story of Abraham, where God calls Abraham to give up his only son. Many of us have heard the story in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham trusted God with his greatest treasure, and God called this worship. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to him. The greatest sacrifice we can give to God is a heart of humility that is willing to serve him with unconditional obedience. Because this kind of worship is what moves the heart of God. Jesus in John 14, 21 says, the person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and reveal myself to him. I got to be obedient. And the last thing is I got to show reverence. I got to show reverence. The Bible says this in Psalms 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all who follow his precepts have a good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. To him belongs eternal praise. In this verse that we read, fear means respect. Our God is like no other. And it is only appropriate that we approach him with awe and with reverence. Because true worship requires that we fear the Lord. John 4, 23 says, but, but the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those that worship him in this way. The Greek word for worship is proskuneo, which literally means to kiss the master's hand with reverence. It indicates two things. It indicates both love and respect for God, that we would both fear him and that we would both love him, that, we would, that when we do this, that we would feel the shelter of his immense greatness, that we would, that we would understand that. So we cannot separate our love for God from our submission to him. God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Worshiping in truth requires us to examine our lives and rid ourselves of anything that does not line up. What was that? That does not line up with his word. So, this is the part where you really don't shout. Because 
worshiping in truth requires us to ask God to purify us. Is there an area in my life, God, that is creating a hindrance or creating an obstacle that's creating a wall between me and you? Is there a place in my life? Is there a a habit? Is there something in my life that I have to say, like David said, search me, O God, and know my heart, that you would test me and that you would know my anxious thoughts, that you would point out everything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That we would say, Holy Spirit, is there something in me? That has grieved you? Is there something in me that has reduced your presence in my life? Am I holding on to a past offense? Am I holding on to hurt? Am I holding on to an anxious thought? What is it in my life that I have to confront and align myself with the truth of God's word? And that as you go through this, that we would know that the the voice of the Holy Spirit convicts, but the voice of the enemy condemns. There's truly a difference because we have to understand that condemnation will tell us, here's the problem, look at it, it's all your fault, there's no way out. But I want to tell you that that is not the voice of God because our, our Heavenly Father tells us that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. That walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. That he sent his son to save you and me and not to condemn us. So to know that condemnation comes to bring you down and to constantly just be that voice that you hear that says you'll never be good enough. That is the voice of the enemy that tells you you'll never be good enough. You'll never be able to rise above your past failure. That is a lie from the enemy. It is condemnation. And it is not from God. Conviction, though, through the Holy Spirit, tells us this. It says, here's the problem. Now let's do something about it. There is hope. There is a way out because of the blood of Jesus. Isaiah 1 and 18 says this, that though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Jesus has made it possible for us to walk in purity. So Impact City, let us make every effort to worship him with clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands and a pure heart. A life that is totally focused on God. A life that is totally devoted to God. That we would say, God, I trust you more than I trust myself. That that we would worship him at all times. That we would worship him with our words and with our actions and, and with whatever we do. That we would do it as unto the Lord. Because worship has the power to tear down strongholds and change environments. 
I'll say that one more time. Worship has the power to tear down strongholds and to change environments. It can create an atmosphere of just change in our lives just by the simple fact of you worshiping wherever you're at. By you just saying, I need you right now. I trust you right now. And I know that you will do a great work. For us to be able to take that approach to life, that we would make worship a lifestyle. I got four minutes and 25 seconds. I'm using all my time today. Acts chapter 16 and verse 23 and 24. One of my favorite stories tells us of two men named Paul and Silas. They've been arrested and now they're in the depths of a prison. They're not, it's not what you see in, on TV. Some historians believe that there was water knee deep. There were rodents floating. They're in a hard spot. They're in a difficult spot, chained and weary and surrounded by darkness, and they have every single reason to be afraid. But what do they do when their back is against the wall? What do they do when, when life has dealt them a card? That, that they didn't deserve. What do they do when I'm, when I'm going through something and I shouldn't, and you feel like you shouldn't be going through it? And what, what do I do? I worship. Paul and Silas, the Bible tells us that they worshiped. Around midnight, the Bible says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening, and suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Did you catch that? There was two people worshiping, but two people were not just the ones that were set free. Everyone in that place was set free because of two people. Two people made up their mind and said, for God I'll live and for God I'll die. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. They worshiped. They worshiped. They worshiped. They worshiped. I don't, I don't feel like worshiping when water's knee deep uh, and, and it's filthy. And I don't feel like worshiping when, when I'm chained up. And I don't feel like worshiping when I'm tired. And, and I don't feel like worshiping in this dark moment of my life. Uh, but I know, I know that I can't do anything for myself. But I know that there's someone greater and his name is Jesus. So they worshiped. The Bible says that they worshiped, and all of a sudden, they weren't praying. They weren't saying, God, could you set us free? They weren't saying, God, could you make these chains fall off? They worshiped, and they said, you are holy. They said, you are mighty. You are great. You are wonderful. You are extraordinary. There's nobody like you. I, I trust you, God. I worship you in this moment. I know everything is not going my way, but I still lift you up. I know my head hurts, but I still lift you up. I know, and they just worshiped, and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, there's an earthquake. Can I tell you that he makes a way? Can I tell you that he makes a way? It's a beautiful picture of what worship can do, how it changes the atmosphere, 
everyone in that place was set free because two people made up their mind. Your work environment, your school, your home can change with worship. Your perspective can change with worship. When David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me, what he was I love the picture because it's like when you take a magnifying glass and you make something larger than what it truly is. When we magnify him, we make him larger. We make him larger than what we're facing. That I would magnify him at every moment. Father, we thank you today. We thank you today for your goodness. We thank you today for the privilege to be able to know you, to be loved by you. There's nothing in this world like it. So right now, God, we commit our hearts. We commit our lives to worship. Lord, not that everything is perfect, not that everything is going the way that it should, but God, we worship you because you're in control. We worship you because you're worthy. We worship you because you are God and there is nobody like you. God, we put our faith, we put our confidence, we put our trust in you. We know that you, God, know better than we know. That your ways are higher than our ways. God, we worship you in this moment and in this place. We commit to be rooted to be grounded in worship. That when the enemy comes in like a flood, that you will raise a standard against him. We right now make a decision, we make a commitment to worship you at all times. Let our hearts be directed to you. We love you today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't like to close any service without giving you the, anyone the opportunity to make a decision to give your life to Jesus. So maybe you're in this place and your heart is heavy. Your spirit is wounded and you've gone through some things and you're carrying shame and you're carrying guilt. You're carrying it. And God says, I stand at the door and I knock. If you just open the door, he'll come on in. He'll take your heaviness and he'll give you a garment of praise. And it doesn't matter what your condition looks like. He says, I came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. So if that is you today. And you say, today's the day that I want to give my life to Jesus. Truly give my life to Jesus as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Would you just raise your hand right where you're at? You don't have to come to the altar. You don't have to do anything like that. Just raise your hand right where you're at. I see you. I see you. Right now, I want to invite you to, everyone at the sound of my voice, to pray this prayer with me. That we would, we pray together with you because we're here to do life with you. 
that you would find community in this place and that you would find hope. So everyone, would you pray with me, dear Jesus? Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking my place. I give you my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Let me live the life you died to give me. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we give God praise for everyone that received him today? Would you stand with me this moment?